it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of Buckeye Podcast with Christopher Rennie. And I am joined once again by Jordan Williams. What's up, man? How you doing? How you doing today, Jordan? Uh, yeah, so we're here. Happy to be a part of the Land Grant Holy Land family, as always. Make sure you're getting on the website. You're looking at all the articles. This week is Unbreakable Records Week. And, you know, that's the thing. Uh, they always say records are meant to be broken. I uh, think Hank Aaron's getting broken by Barry Bonds. You know, the passing touchdown record, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady both broke it. You know, there's just a lot of records out there. Uh, some of them are seen as unbreakable. I don't know if you're a baseball guy, Jordan, but I don't think anyone will ever get 56 hits consecutively in a game ever again. Yeah, I don't see that one happening either. And, uh, you know... Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scored a lot of points in the NBA, and I have seen LeBron's health deteriorate, so I still think that one might be standing strong by the end no, of LeBron's LeBron, career. LeBron's breaking that one. You think so? Yeah. I think so. That's that's where I'm at, too. I just wanted to kind of hide my LeBron homerism. <laughs> um, it's funny because LeBron was talking about he wants to retire as a Laker, 
And he was like, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be four, five, six, or seven more years. And I just thought it was interesting that he started with four. Because I think if he stays on his current pace, he breaks it in three years. If he goes down a little bit, like a couple of points per game, he'll break it in like four, four and a half. And the fact that he started at four, like, yeah, I'll probably like. And, and maybe that's reading too much into it. It was just interesting yeah. that like four is the number. Like it wasn't one, two, or three. It was like four, four. two, seven. And it's like okay, he. I think he's going to be around he has for an a idea. while. Everything he does is planned. I mean, that's kind of the greatness of him. Not to jump into it, he didn't win a championship this year. We all know that. Congratulations to our fellow Bucks. I, I just think uh, that gives us a. I think we got to. I think we got to finish it out, right? Buccaneers, right? There's those Bucks. The Bucks. We got the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the yeah. Pirates aren't going to win it. I don't know where no. they get the Bucks in their name either. But yeah, I mean, we're an Ohio State podcast. What are, what are we leading off the show with today, Jordan? Uh, we're talking about. Well, speaking of records, we're talking about unbreakable records. Um, that's what we're doing at at Land Grant Holy Land. And so I, th- I just think, you know, we, we kind of talked about it. We, all, we have some interesting records that we think are going to be unbroken. And so instead of just kind of focusing on one, um, we decided that we were just going to kind of go back and forth and give you some interesting ones. Um, do you want to start or you want me to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it away. I think the first and foremost record that will never be broken ever again is Archie Griffin, Archie Griffiths, uh, his hundred yard game streak. Uh, he had, what was the number again? I think it was 36 consecutive games over a hundred yards rushing. And that is absolutely absurd. That just doesn't Uh, even make any sense. I I, I can't even fathom that. If you really want to break that down, I mean, that I we shouldn't even have a running back that's playing that many games from here on out. So I really just think that record's unfathomable. It won't be touched by anybody in the near future. Yeah, I I, I don't think so. Um, I, one of the records. I, so I, I'm focusing a lot on the defensive records. I'm a defensive guy, um, and personally, as a younger Buckeye fan, there's a, a person that keeps showing up that I didn't know. I was going to start out with Chase Young, but I just feel like we have to give him some credit because he has a bunch of records I don't think is going to be broken. Um, when we talked about linebackers, you know, everyone talks about Chris Spielman and, and, you know, all of that, but some guy named Tom Kuzinu has a million records, like literally a million defensive records. Um, the first one, him and Chris Spielman are actually tied, but 29 total tackles in a game. That's not happening. That's absurd. That's just not happening. And he has he's in the he has multiple records. He has and in just this category, he had 29, 28, 23, 23, 22, 21. That is just that is just stupid. I've never heard of a defensive stat like that. Like He's just averaging 20 tackles a game for a year. All of these are in 1978, too. So multiple games in 1978, like 20-plus tackles. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I think when you really look at the defensive records, especially the tackle records, you really have to, like, it really shows, like, the evolution of the game of football for sure. Because you got to think, like, there's no way a linebacker is going to be able to get 29 tackles in a game because not everything's happening in, like, a 15-yard box. Mm-mm. Well, so that, I really, 
I think you're on to one with this one. I don't think that one's going to be touched. No, no. And, and same, just following the trend, that same season, he had 211 total tackles that season. I think you said they were playing like 10 games or whatever it was. He averaged essentially 20 tackles a game. Uh, so even even in a, what, 16-game season? That is that what we have? Yeah. we have? It's, it's roughly 16 games, 14, 15. Even in a 14, 15-game season, nobody's close. Like, there's yeah. nobody. The closest is Ryan Shazier, and he's number 12. So, like, yeah, that how just, many tackles did he have for He had uh, 143 in a season. So yeah. And that's, that's 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to know who our leading tackler was last year. I think it was, it had to be, it was probably Pete Werner. In the, it was like, probably the like 80s. 50 tackles. <laughs> yeah. 50 or so, 60. I mean, maybe it was 80. I don't want to disrespect Pete Werner, but like, it wasn't that many. It wasn't 100 for yeah. sure. Have we had a hundred tacklers since Raekwon McMillan? I, I couldn't tell you honestly. It's just so. not something that happens as consistently anymore, unless you play in like a very run-oriented offense. Unless you're an every-down linebacker, which Ohio State's kind of moved away from. They kind of stack six linebackers who play. So it's really, honestly, just a lack of play time plus a lack of opportunity over and over again to get up to that amount of tackles. Yeah, I think the thing that kind of sets it off is uh, Micah Parsons and um, I can't think of his name, but the player who kind of played a similar position for Clemson. I don't think either one of them touched 100 tackles, and they played every position. They played linebacker, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive end, safety. They never left the field. And, I mean, they still, you know, aren't getting 100 tackles. It's just not the game. So maybe that's yeah. cheating. Maybe that's cheating because it's not the game. But, I mean, it fits the week. It is a record that's never going to be broken. Yeah, I mean, it's just not going to be touched. And, like, I, I the name that came to my mind when we thought of every down linebacker who plays, like, every single play was Northwestern's Patty Fisher. Mm. His first season, he had 111, 116, and then he went 88 and 86. So, if we're being honest here, like, that's one of the most old-school type linebackers in the game today. And – He's just barely cracking over that 100 mark. Yeah. In 14 games. It's just so, like... I, at 219 tackles in one season, yeah, no, I don't I don't think that's ever happening. No, not at all. And, and looking at the record book, maybe we didn't give Ryan Shazier enough credit because no, he's the only current – um, He's the only current-ish last 10-year linebacker that's really in any of these records. He has 15 – He's he ranks 15 for total tackles in a game. He ranks 12th for total tackles in a season. He ranks 16th for total tackles in a career. Um, he's tied for first with total uh, solo tackles in a game. Um, third for solo tackles in a season. I don't know, man. I don't think we gave him enough credit. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I love Ryan Shazier. He was one of the best linebackers, him. but uh, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I did not uh, know yeah. he was in the record books like this, though. My second record is also an Archie Griffin record. If you guys had no idea, he was this great player. Uh, played for Ohio State. If he you, had fifty five, fifty five hundred rush yards. Oh my god, that's just, <laughs> oh, that's just un- all of it career. Is unbelievable. But, like, if you think about it, uh, just the level he was able to compete at for four years to be able to get that. You want to know who's in second place on this record? Is it JK? 
It's J.K. Dobbins. And you want to know how many yards he had? Like 43, maybe? 42? 40, you were right on it. 4,459 yards. That's an 1,100 difference. Yeah. And J.K. played in 42 football games. Uh, that's only four less than Archie Griffin, to put it into even more perspective. Which is interesting because you just mentioned, like, we probably won't have a running back that plays 36 games. So yeah. we do. Maybe 36 is not as many as we thought it was, but still, that what, two, yeah. three games less and it's 1,100 yards? Two uh, About 200 less attempts rushing the ball as well. I don't think. Which shows that that's a big the difference in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Zeke's in third with 3,900 yards, and it felt like that dude had more yards than anybody. Literally. And then even on another level, another Heisman winner for Ohio State, Eddie George had 3,700 rushing yards in his career and Nowhere didn't close. even come close. Nowhere. So what I'd say, you know, those are three of the best running backs of all time in the sport, and they didn't even come close to Archie Griffin's 5,500 yards. Now but, that, like, you look at the room, like – the room's stacked. There's tons of players every year. Like J.K. Dobbins had to share in the backfield all three of his years except his final year. And, you know, it really is a game where the featured back still has to take his rest, still doesn't get that same bulk of carry. So, yeah, it's I cool. really think 5,500 is unbreakable. Yeah, 5,500 is definitely unbreakable. I mean, like you said, featured backs. I mean, you can tell at Ohio State who the featured back is, but even Alabama doesn't have a feature back like they used to. LSU doesn't have a feature. Like, they're not running their running back like they ran Derrick Henry or, Le- or Leonard Fournette. So you're a featured back if you get 60% of the carries, and the rest of them split the other 40. So uh, my unbreakable record, I don't know if I'll say ever, but, like, for a while is 16 and a half sacks by Chase Young. And I just thought that was an interesting one to bring up because we've talked a whole lot about, you know, um, everyone is projecting Zach Harrison to be a first round pick. Um, he's on all of these watch lists, whether he's shown that to us yet. A lot of people, not even Ohio State people, believe he's ready to ascend. You know, we talk about Jack Sawyer, JT, Tuamalau, um, and having both of them as bookends, but I just don't see it. I don't see one of them being dominant enough to get 16 and a half. And I think that speaks to something we mentioned before as Chase was the only guy, you know, so he got a couple like he had to try harder because it really wasn't no one else. But yeah, he got a lot of those sacks because he was the one. Yeah, he he wasn't sharing a lot of sacks that year, which is part of why teams were able to triple team him at the end of it. And on top of that, like Chase Young was like inarguably a dude who was better than almost everybody I've seen before. So at the end of the day, like what can we really say that hasn't been said about Chase Young? And that's why his record's there. And he missed two games. Yeah, that's the that's the unfortunate part. <laughs> and they were not against good teams. No, he would have had two he, he would have probably had two sacks both of those games. In at the least. Half. At least. I mean he, and he's having two, three sacks against records and then sitting down after halftime. Yeah. And honestly I'm looking at the group, and I'm not disagreeing that there's a lot of talent in the room, and we're never going to know if they're an all-time great talent like Chase Young until they play. But I I look at it, and if you have two all-time elite guys, you're splitting those sacks in half. Like You're going to have Jack Sawyer with 11. You're going to have JT Tuamaleu with 11. You're going to have these guys splitting sacks down the middle in the future if you keep recruiting at the rate you are. And that kind of adds a challenge to breaking the record. 
because like the main reason I think Chase Young was able to succeed that much was because he was the dude without question. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, even Joey Bosa, he only had 13 and a half. And I say only, like, that's, you know, a bad thing. But a part of that is because he was clearly the best guy, right? But he was still splitting sacks with other people. And there were some there were some sacks where he got half sacks because other people were getting there. You know, Chase Young, If you, I remember watching it. And most of the times he was the only person there. Like, he wasn't splitting a bunch of sacks. Um, and so, you know, I think when we when we get to the time for JT and Jack Sawyer and everyone that comes after that, if we keep recruiting how we're c- recruiting, which is what you're touching on, I think, you know, we may have a year where they're dominant and they only have nine sacks, but they both have nine sacks or they both have 11, 12 sacks, but 11, 12 sacks isn't getting you close to that record. So, yeah. And I think when you really break it down. Uh, it's a position that is rotated a lot. You have five or six guys who play, and in, if you're an elite guy like Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, you get the passing downs, the definitive passing downs, but those happen a lot on drives, and you're going to get rotated out just because of fatigue and just basic coach rotations, and that also throws a wrench into it. You don't have every down defense ends anymore. That too, especially, I mean, if you want to keep them good, you keep them fresh. You rotate them. Ohio State has the rushman package. Um, you know, we're getting a little bit better with defensive tackles as far as getting past rushing defensive tackles. Um, so, I mean, all of that takes into account. I mean, if you have Haskell Garrett on the line, you're not getting 16 and a half sacks because he's going to have somewhere between four and eight himself. And you're just not going to have, you're just not going to have that many sacks as a team unless you You go back to 2002 yeah yeah honestly and i think i think it's just uh, there's there's a lot of records that seem unbreakable now we might get a day where we get to see them broken but i guess i want to kind of pivot i i want you to like kind of pull up one that you think is a breakable record i got one right here oh that's 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 a good one let me see you you say yours first all right, got you. Uh, yeah, so I think Dwayne Haskins at forty eight hundred yards with Ryan Day as the head coach is a breakable record. Yes, the reason I think that, yeah, that's a that's breakable, definitely. Is at some point Ohio State is going to run into a year where they don't have that level of balance offensively, like they did, and we're going to rely on an elite quarterback prospect, whether that be C.J. Stroud, whether that be Kyle McCord, whether that be Quinn Ewers or someone after those guys who needs to throw the ball 500 times. And in that year, that year is the year we'll see the record broken. But I don't think it's unbreakable. I think for a while, you know, Justin Fields threw for 3,200 yards, but guess what? Those teams were extremely balanced. Uh, Joe Germain was on the list. Uh, In the 90s, he played on a very – relatively unbalanced team. That's why he had 384 attempts in 1998. Uh, When you look at JT Barrett, 371 pass attempts. Uh, That seems to be the number for the modern quarterback. So unless we get a guy who gets 500 attempts, uh, it's going to be a tough one, but I think there's a time in the future where we see that happen. Yeah, I think so. Um, Especially with Ryan Day. I mean, I know we're still a run-centric offense, but I could see with our wide receivers spreading the ball around, different things like that. Um, the one, the only thing that, that would make me think that it's going to take a little bit longer to break is just we're in the Big Ten. And so when it gets yeah. cold, you're going to want to run. So they're going to really – I think someone would have to really, really um, – 
really, really like run up the stats in the very beginning of the season and then kind of coast a little bit because you're not going to be throwing in November. Not as much. Um, obviously, yeah. you do, but like it, it kind of slows down a little bit. But I definitely can see that one being broken uh, just honestly with the way the game is going. Uh, yeah. I've been focusing a lot on defense, and honestly, a lot of these defense, defensive ones kind of seem unbreakable. Um, I'm going to pick a random one. Actually, no, there's no way I can pick that one. No, I will, because we have – okay. So I'm going to pick a random one that I hope would get broken or at least tied. Um I have interceptions in a season. It's nine. Um, for reference, Malik Hooker had seven. So that's saying a lot, you know, to expect someone to have more interceptions than Malik Hooker because we remember that season with Malik Hooker. It seemed like he was intercepting the ball every game. He had three interceptions returned for a touchdown. So, but I do think with the way that we're, I, I do think that kind of the opposite of what you were saying with the way that we are recruiting on defense and our defensive backs and how much teams are looking to pass. I think if you get a really dominant safety, it's possible to do that. Um, Especially with the extra game and the playoffs and things like that. Like it's not going to be easy. Nine interceptions in a season is literally almost one a game. Um, But I do think, you know, with more quarterbacks getting 400, 500 pass attempts, if you really, really get a dominant one, you add in the pass rush. That is one that I could see being broken or at least someone topping Malik Hooker and getting seven or eight. Um, but a lot of yeah. the defensive ones, if, you, if you've if you never looked at the defensive record book, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not seeing too many that look like it's going to be uh, it's going to be broken anytime soon. It's interesting because I hate the interception one. I, I played safety in my day. Uh, a lot of interceptions happen due to luck yeah. as much as skill. So you need two positions. You need a quarterback, at, whether you're a safety or corner, to take a chance while you're in good position or to get a ball deflected around and get lucky and it just end up in your hands. But I remember a lot of the time when I played corner and when we'd play against good corners, uh, it's really not of the best interest to throw to a really good corner. No. So it's really a challenge. Like Jeff Akuda did not have that many interceptions, and there's a reason for that. Malik Hooker had seven interceptions because he was an absolute freak of nature who could cover sideline to sideline with ease. Yeah. So it's going to take a combination of that immense skill that Malik Hooker had and luck to get past nine. But I don't think luck. it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible at all. I think you're right. Yeah, not at all. Uh, before we move past this, I just want to mention because you, you we we mentioned who uh, led the league, led the team in tackles. You were right; it was Pete Warner, but it was significantly less total tackles than you thought it was. I was actually like sixty three. No, it's fifty four. Wow. Well, in a shortened season. Right? Yeah, oh, that that is true. That's true. It was a shortened season. He had fifty four. We haven't had um, uh, uh, we haven't had anyone within twenty of a hundred um, since two thousand six two thousand sixteen. I'm sorry, uh, twenty twenty was fifty four. Twenty nineteen was Malik Harrison with seventy five. Twenty eighteen was Jordan Fuller and Malik Harrison tied with eighty one, um, which makes me feel like uh, we could we could have got a little bit more out of Malik Harrison if we actually played him like we should have. He could have been a hundred yard tackler, I believe. Um, 2017 was 72 with Jerome Baker. And then we had multiple hundreds in a row 
Raekwon McMillan hit 100 twice. Joshua Perry hit 100 once. And Ryan Shazier hit 100 twice as well. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, part of it can be how much we rely on the Will linebacker getting him up to 80s in the 80s. But like, I really just don't think our linebackers are getting enough volume inside the box anymore mm-hmm. to get that number. And they rotate they rotate more than the defensive line does. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think yeah, I think that one's gonna be tough. I think if we ever have a hundred yard tackler, uh that's a great thing. But two hundred's never gonna happen again. Mm-mm, no. <laughs> Maybe in a career. <laughs> if you're lucky. If you play for four years. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that is a good one to end on because I really do think that's the one truly unbreakable record we have in this record book. That's our 56 hits right there is the tackles. Uh, so, yeah, moving forward with the show, uh, Ohio State is in great position to once again continue their dominance in the conference of the Big Ten. But there's a lot of teams who are taking their shot at us in the offseason and trying to win the offseason award for most unlikable fan base in my book. And as we all know, throughout the offseason, teams and people really start convincing themselves that this is their year, that the impossible is possible, that anything can happen. And I am looking at a list of four teams I put together. They have all taken their shots. They have all taken their jabs at the Buckeyes. And I have no idea how these four teams are going to finish. No one does until the games are played. And I just want to go through this list with you, Jordan, before we jump into this topic. So I've got Georgia, Clemson, Oregon, Oklahoma. They all believe that they're going to win a national championship this year. They all believe that if they played Ohio State, they'd mop the floor with them because we play in the Big Ten and the Big Ten sucks. Ohio State's got a weak schedule and all this stuff. But looking historically at the success rate, uh, we're not too bad against the teams on there. So I just want to take a minute and really discuss of all these teams talking trash, what team do you think is the most likely to fail? I think it depends on how you define fail. Um, the obvious one to me is Georgia because Georgia's not beating Alabama. Even in a down year, like I mean, there's been multiple years where we felt like Georgia should beat Alabama, and if there's any year they should do it again, it should be this year because they should arguably have the best quarterback in the conference with uh, JT Daniels. Um, they have a lot of returners. Jo- uh, Alabama obviously lost a lot of people. They lost three wide receivers, their whole offensive line almost, a couple of people on defense, their quarterback. Um, so Georgia should probably win the SEC, but they're not going to. So they're most likely to fail. My other answer, though, is Oklahoma, um, simply because while Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12 for the millionth time in the in a row, they're going to get curb stomped by whoever they play in the playoffs. And their expectation this year is to, like you mentioned, win a national championship because according to them and their fans and the media, they have, again, the best quarterback in college football, Spencer Rattler. Everyone thinks he's going to win the Heisman. I highly disagree with I Thank you. I don't think he's that good, but they, I, to them and to the media, they have the best quarterback, the number one pick, the Heisman winner, Davey O'Brien, all the quarterback awards, blase, blase, and supposedly under Alec Grinch, they finally have a defense. So Oklahoma thinks this is their year. 
I think they are going to be the most likely to fail outside of Georgia, obviously just not winning the SEC because Alabama is going to curb stomp them again. Yeah, so of these teams, I, I'm with you. I, I don't like Oklahoma. I, I really think Lincoln Riley has one disappointment in his season every single year. I think the Big 12 as a conference has a lot of super seniors returning compared to some of the other major conferences. And I think Oklahoma is going to run into a list of challenges if a lot of these players they have high expectations for don't actually amount to them. Uh, I think the point you brought up that I, I like the most about the Oklahoma one is them being a disappointment is Alex Grinch. Yes, you moved the 118th best defense into the top 50. All right. How well is that going to stick when all these offensive coordinators in the Big 12 have film on you? They know how you're going to call the plays. They know exactly. They have your experience. You're not going to catch any of them off guard anymore. Uh, I don't know if Grinch is going to be able to be an adjustments guy. He wasn't at Ohio State. Not even So it's one of those things where I'm not faithful in him. I'm not faithful in Spencer Rattler to succeed at the level they expect because he's going to have to be like a 4,500, 5,000-yard thrower if they're going to win a playoff game or even win the Big 12. Mm -hmm. But I think on this list, uh, I think – it's tough because I, I don't think any of these four teams are going to be as successful as their fan base thinks. And I go through the list of all, like Georgia, like you said, they won't beat Alabama. I don't think uh, JT Daniels is as good as advertised. I think he's one of those guys who gets flustered by pressure, and there's going to be a lot of pressure in the SEC. Uh, I think Clemson, I think DJ Uangalele, I think they are, they're the best. They're in the best position to not fail on this list. But I do think there's – kind of on a little bit of a decline compared to their place five years ago. So the win the ACC, I think DJ Yongalele is going to be fine. But I do think uh, young receiving core, I think the Justin Ross health questions, I think their defense returns a lot of old guys, but Ohio State showed exactly how to beat them. And on top of that, that. yeah. And then Oregon on this list, yes, they play in the Pac-12. That's nine conference games. They've shown they slip up every time. But on top of that, they have to play Ohio State in Ohio without a legitimate quarterback. So, yes, you can say all you want about Kayvon Thibodeau. You can say all you want about the returning secondary who played four games last year and had really good PFF stats. I I, I hear you guys. But Oregon, I, I see with two losses before the season even ends. Oklahoma, I see with one bad loss and then a bad loss in the playoffs. Oklahoma, Clemson, I think, goes probably 11-1 and one or unbeaten. It just kind of depends on how they do in the Georgia game. And then Georgia, I think Kirby Smart is a terrible big game coach. I think JT Daniels uh, is a guy who can be elite, but I don't know if Todd Monken's offense will get him there. When you look at their receiving group, I think it's great, but I don't know if the offense is forward enough to actually utilize those receivers the way they should. And defensively, I think they've always been good, but I think sometimes they fail to match the firepower of other offenses. So can Kirby finally get over the hump? I don't think so. I don't think Kirby Smart is a great game day coach on the big game side. Yeah, I think an interesting conversation to have is what are Georgia's realistic expectations? Um, Because Kirby Smart is essentially in the same place that Mark Rich was before he got fired. Um, Yeah. I'm going to call my shot here. Uh, I think every team on this list except 
maybe Oklahoma ends the season with two losses. Clemson's going to lose to Georgia, and I think they lose to Boston College, North Carolina, Florida State, one of those ones. Um, Oklahoma has to watch out for uh, future Michigan head coach Matt Campbell. Um, Iowa State. They got Kansas be, State again. Yeah, Iowa State is going to be tough, and I and if Michigan doesn't sell like everything, a plot of land, um, the the Michael Jordan contract, and like. Uh, 17 scholarships for the entire Matt Campbell generation, like from his great, great, great grandkids to get him to coach when they finally fire Harbaugh. Um, they know nothing. So I think yeah. all of these teams except maybe Oklahoma and with two losses. And I say maybe Oklahoma only because the Big 12 is terrible. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think Oklahoma is probably the least likely to fail, but compared to their fan expectations, I think they're the most likely to fail. Yeah. I think Clemson understands that their uh, their team can at any moment be a national championship team. They've built a pretty great uh, pretty great uh, program down there. Despite what Ohio State fans are going to say, Dabo's done a great job. Uh, despite what he says, Dabo. like can't stand him, but he's built a solid program. Can't argue with it. Cristobal, I just I, I don't know where Oregon's getting this false confidence from. I don't know what they did last year that really warranted it, you know. And they Georgia, had you know, losses last year, didn't they? Yeah, and they, lost they to ended up making. State. Yeah, they ended up making the Pac-12 championship off of the fluke. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't even wasn't even, they shouldn't even been there. No. And then Georgia, on top of that, you know, until they do something different, you know. It's like what people did. It's like Phil Steele with Michigan for the last four years before this one came out. He was always hyping them up. Big Ten champs, you know, this is their year. Until Georgia proves me otherwise, I'm not going to be able to put my cart behind that horse. Ever. And that's just the truth. And, you know, I I love talking trash to other fan bases, and I love where fan bases really think they come at Ohio State for – other teams, they success against us. Like, you know, people would come after us for being 0-4 against Clemson. I was like, you guys are Michigan fans. Like, how does that even <laughs> make sense? You know, Oklahoma fans will come to Ohio State because they won the last game. But, like, look at their records all time. Uh, Oregon has not beat us. So, overall, I'm like, where can these guys even really fathom coming up with trash talk? It's the, it's the offseason and they're bored. Because when it comes to the field, it, it it shows every single time. Georgia almost lost to Cincinnati. And I don't say that disrespectful because I'm a big Cincinnati fan, but if you can't beat Cincinnati, you're not beating Ohio State. Like, yeah, you, can't, you shouldn't talk to us, honestly, because we're not going to lose to Cincinnati. We played yeah. Cincinnati two years ago, and it was the same Cincinnati team with the years of experience, the same quarterback, and you really should have lost. It was some bad clock management, a couple lucky plays in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter of why Georgia, yeah. you know, got won that game. And it's it's really, I think all four of these teams have shown that they're here to stay. I think they all recruit at a great level. But until they could win on the grand stage, it's hard for me to believe in any of them with the off-season talk. And it's even harder for me to take in the trash talk from other fan bases when they haven't proven anything Mm -hmm. in the last four to five years. 
Oregon can't consistently win the Pac-12. So I don't want to hear anything from their fans because they lose the Pac-12 to like Arizona State and Washington. And they're by far the best program in the Pac-12. They shouldn't be. USC they should be doing what Oklahoma's doing. Literally, every what Ohio State's doing, what Clemson's doing, what Alabama's doing in their respective conference, not nationally, but Oregon wouldn't like it's just yeah, no. Until Oregon is consistently winning the Pac twelve, where it's like every year you're just like Oregon's gonna win. It's not not yes. this is gonna be a Washington year, this is gonna be a this year. Like I just don't want to hear it because you have no one in the Pac twelve. Right as long as USC's down, like this should be Oregon's time for the next five years to build something. As long as USC has Clay Helson. And they built And they it. won't. It'll, they just, it's going to be a wasted five years. Yeah. I mean, they've wasted the last five years. They wasted since the national championship game. They've wasted everything since. Because Mario Cristobal yeah. is a good coach. He's a great recruiter. I mean, they have Kayvon Thibodeau. They got Panay Sewell. They got Panay Sewell's little brother. They got the linebacker. I can't think of his name, who's like the number one linebacker in the country. Like, they get good recruits, and they just don't do anything with it. Yeah. And And the Pac-12 at that. Again, I keep saying that because it's the Pac-12, and they should win that conference every single year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's overall, I just like this conversation because I I think it brings into perspective – what the offseason really is like we're in the middle of july yes camp's right around the corner but we're still like a month away from really getting into fall camp conversation and this is what other teams are thinking of us and it really is not upsetting but it's hilarious because i'm saving bookmarks i'm freezing cold taking people i i just know for a fact like this is where michigan fans were every year and then we saw what happened to them so i'm just hoping ryan day's doing the same thing i'm doing getting all this stuff. So just in case we see Georgia in the playoff, just in case Ohio State sees Clemson or sees Oregon, you know, it's just already there on their mind. Like these people do not think we belong on the same field as them. And then Ohio State just puts a hammer on them. Like they do to every program. It's not Clemson, Alabama. Alabama. And I don't know if we can say Clemson that because we beat Clemson two years in a row. It, it may not like the record book may not say that we beat them two years in a row. And with that, we're going to take a quick break here, guys. Uh, enjoy. And we'll be back here in a minute or so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you guys for joining the first half of the show with us. Hopefully you guys keep engaged, keep going here. And even with how good Clemson was the last five years, even going one and one against them the last two is still like extremely impressive. Not a lot of teams can say they did that. 
Mm-mm. So, yeah, overall, uh, I think it's a fun conversation. I think we're going to start previewing the season a little bit more as it approaches, uh, and we'll start looking at some other conferences and how we feel about them. But for now, we got to preview something that starts the day this recording will be released. Uh, Carmen's crew in the basketball tournament, TBT, is underway. Uh, They play their first game Friday, 9 Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we are going to be doing the instant reaction show after that game for all of you guys. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. And it's going to prep us for the football season a little bit more. But Carmen's crew, uh, we're both college basketball fans. Uh, So I'm excited to see them enter. They were the 2019 champs. Uh, I'm excited uh, for this to start. I love the tournament. And uh, yeah, I guess let's just get it underway. Uh, The road is not going to be easy, but let's start with the roster. Any standouts on this team that you're excited to watch come Friday? Yeah, so this is a cop-out answer that everyone's going to have, but (laughs) I'm most excited for Aaron Kraft. Um, Just because he's just so like... I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to describe Aaron Kraft. Anyone who's ever watched Aaron Kraft play basketball knows exactly what I'm trying to say. He's just fun to watch. He's just fun to watch, and he took a break. You know, I was actually just reading his story on Aaron Kraft before we got on the podcast. He said he was going to retire to be a doctor. He is actually in med school. We've been. I know we've been hearing the doctor thing for a while, and then he went overseas and this, that, and the third. But he is actually currently in med school. And he just said he missed the itch. He had the itch. He wanted to play. He said this is probably actually going to be his last year because med school is going to pick up in his second year. So I'm just excited to see Aaron Kraft one last time um, put on the the Buckeye uniform, even though it's not really the Buckeye uniform, and go see if he can win that million dollars. I don't know how you can't be excited for Aaron Kraft, honestly, because – He's just electricity walking. He he makes watching defensive basketball fun. And, like, he's up there. But I, I think the person I'm most excited for, and I've been talking about this guy a lot with my buddy, uh, John Diebler, uh, the shooting guard, Mr. Three Ball himself. Uh, he is one of my favorite college basketball players of all time. And I truly do think he was ahead of his time for how he played and how he was able to shoot off the dribble. And it's going to show this whole weekend. If he can stay healthy, I think this team will really rely on his knockdown shooting. Uh, So overall, I think this roster remains very much intact. Uh, We're supposed to have Caleb Wesson on this team, but he was replaced with Costa Kufis. Ohio State added Lenzel Smith Jr. to the team. Shannon Scott's on the team. Uh, you know, obviously, Keyshawn Woods is one of my favorite ones right here. He was one of my favorite players in school. Uh, and the other player I think we all need to be ready for is William Buford. Uh, if you guys don't remember him, uh, go put in the tapes. Look at all the stats. He was remarkable when he played at Iowa State. Yeah, the other guy that I'm kind of um, rooting for just kind of on a personal thing uh, is Costa Kufis, as you mentioned, uh, just because I'm from Canton. And he went to Glen Oak, him and C.J. McCollum. And I just think, you know, Canton is not a place where you get a whole lot of basketball players. Um, We used to be a factory for Ohio State with football, and that kind of died down a little bit. So um, I I was just excited to see that name because it's like someone I recognize. Obviously, he's older than me, so he's older than my sister. But my little sister graduated from uh, Glen Oak, and so that's always something I look out for. I'm always looking out for uh, Costa Kufis and C.J. McCollum, see how their careers are going and stuff because they're from Canton. So 
Uh, him and Aaron Kraft is who I'm looking out for the most, most I would say. Yeah, no, I think they're two fun guys to watch for sure. I, I The last guy I, I want to highlight is Jeff Gibbs. Uh, he was not an Ohio State Buckeye guy. He went to Otterbein. He's been on the Carmen's crew team for all three or four years they've been involved in this tournament. And he is a 6'2 power forward, and he plays like every bit of a power forward, and it's one of the most incredible basketball experiences to watch. He literally plays like a high-level pickup basketball player, if you guys know what I mean. Like everything he does is dirty work. Doesn't look pretty, but he is one of the most effective players in the tournament. And he's 38 years old and still oh, wow. playing in Japan. So this guy's an enigma in himself. And I I, I love Jeff Gibbs. I, I'm, I'll lead the Jeff Gibbs fan club if I have to during the tournament. Like that's how much I'm excited to watch him. Well, I will definitely be looking out for him. Um, truthfully, this is going to be one of the first years that I watched the TBT tournament. I've caught, I, I've stayed up with it. I've caught a little bit of it here and there, but typically in the summer, I'm tired of basketball because of March Madness and the playoffs. And at this point, I'm just itching and looking for everything for the NFL and college football. So I'm really excited to actually sit down and watch it. Uh, and so Jeff Gibbs is someone that's going to be on my list. I want to see, you know, maybe if I'm going to join the Jeff, the Jeff Gibbs fan club. Yeah. I mean, he's exciting to watch. I, I swear to God, I don't think anyone I've ever told that to has been disappointed. So I, I'm, I'm hoping we get another member. Uh, we start with the Mid-American Unity. So we're play, playing a former MAC conference. So, or Mid-American. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, so I think they're one and two. And they have a lot of people, a lot of Kent State guys, actually. So this might actually be a conflict of interest for you to cover this one. Oh, let me let me see who's on the roster. See if it's anyone that I know. Uh, but overall, I think Romeo Travis is on it. Oh, no, he's the assistant coach. We remember him. He's LeBron's friend. Oh, wow. He's an assistant coach. Okay. Yeah, we've got some Akron's on here. we got uh, quite a few other guys on here. Uh, we got – yeah, so I think this is a game. They are, they're one and two. Uh, they – Play. I have never watched him play. To be honest, I, I think they have they have a former Ohio State player, so that's also a conflict of interest with JD Weatherspoon. Uh, but overall, I think this is going to be a good opening game for them. I think the MAC is an actually pretty underrated basketball conference overall. I think they usually have one or two teams a year who have quite a good report when it comes to like the national spotlight. And usually it's not a ranked team. It's just a team that plays really good. I think last year it was Ohio. Uh, And moving forward, I think this is going to be a nice challenge to start the tournament off. They have a, uh, this Mac team has someone from Columbus state. um, And that's where I work. So that's interesting. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he just played there. And then that's his like former. Maybe he's still there. That's so that is interesting. Uh, if Ohio State was to win, their next game would be against the Men of Mackey or the Volunteers. Uh, we'll talk about them. Uh, sans the game, we'll see if Carmen Screw moves on, and then we'll see if we play Purdue's Men of Mackey, which has like four seven footers on it apparently. I and mean, then the other team in the region, we have Ohio. 
1804. So that's I'm assuming that's a group of guys from Athens who are getting in on this. And then on the other side, the Red Scare, Dayton. That was a huge game last year. They beat, they upset Ohio State's team, Carmen's crew. So there's a little bit of a rivalry form between those guys. And Red Scare actually added a couple Buckeyes to it. So that's the guys on the other side of the bracket. C.J. Walker's on that team. Uh, John Gruden's a booster for it. Joey Gruden's a GM and head coach, if you guys had any idea. So a lot of fun here. Going to be crazy. Uh, but Dayton alumnus, that's what it's all about. So uh, that's who Ohio State's looking in the mirror at. They want their revenge, and I am so anti-flyer. That's the team down southwest to me. I'm not going to use their name from here on out. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All I know is uh, Ohio State has to win at least. Two games. Yeah, and over, can't go out like it. You can't. We can't have the NCAA tournament lost in the first round, and then go into this tournament and lose in the first round. I know I'm putting bad vibes out there right now, but we just can't have it. Yeah, I know it's a lot of pressure, but they have to make up for Ohio State basketball until we, uh-huh. until we get to see them. Until we get to see Chris Holtman out there again, Carmen's crew is our hope. Yeah, and honestly, I count these championships. Like when Carmen's crew won a championship in 2019, I was legitimately ecstatic because I'm like, this is awesome. This like remade up for my childhood when Aaron Kraft hit the game winner against Iowa State then lost when I was at the game. This makes up for when the Jared Solinger uh, team lost to Thomas Robinson in Kansas. It made up for a lot of that pain caused when Greg Oden and co. could not beat Florida. So – I need another one, Carmen's crew. I'm hurting. Yeah. I'm bleeding. Stop playing with our emotions. Someone from Carmen's crew listening to this podcast, you know, checking in on Ohio State football, stop stop hurting our feelings, you know. Yeah, and also Jeff Gibbs, Gibbs, open invitation onto this show for the rest of forever. (laughs) I know you didn't go to Ohio State. I know you didn't play for him, but you're a Carmen's crew guy, and that means you're welcome here. I, I, love, I love the shout out. Let's see if he, let's hope he reaches out. Yeah. And then uh, on top of that, we got a few more topics on the show. We're going to get a lot more in depth on the instant reactions. I think uh, this is something fun. If you guys want a real preview of the tournament, the Bucketheads, I believe, did a podcast on it. And that's our lead guy on basketball with Connor Lemons. And yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, overall, starts Friday after this show. We will be watching, and then you guys will be listening to us right after that. So uh, we will see you then from that standpoint. This is the end of TBT conversation. Uh, moving forward, what do we have left on the day? Oh, yeah, this is a fun conversation topic we just threw in here for fun. Uh, we are talking about running backs. We're going to do our top five running backs since 2005, but first I wanted to lead off kind of some off-season discussion with our own roster Quick conversation outlook on the RBs 2021 to lead into our all timers. Uh, um, how do we feel about this room going into 2021? I'm torn. And but the only reason I'm torn is it's something that is it's a common thread that we talked about before. I'm torn because we haven't really seen if Ryan Day makes decisions like Urban Meyer or not. Um, and so the reason why I say that is I think if our one, two, 
or 1-3 running back is Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor. I think we're good um, with a little bit of chop, Mayan Williams, who, who does not like to be called Meatball. Um, I think we're going to be pretty solid. If he makes a uh, Urban Meyer decision and leaves with Master Teague, I'm a little concerned. Um, as I already said, I, in my unpopular opinion and whenever I said it, I don't think Master Teague's that good of a running back. I don't believe he's a feature back, especially not at Ohio State. Um, he just doesn't play the way that we want to play. Um, not to continue the second week of crapping on Urban Meyer. And again, I promise I am an Urban Meyer fan. I just, you know, just planned a date to Urban Meyer's new uh, steakhouse that I think is just now opening up. Like, love Urban. But let's we be honest. A lot of trash on him last week. <laughs> His decision making, yeah. not him as a person. Right. If, if and he were a coach, master team, pay it forward. Running back. And we're going to pay it forward to him by Jordan going to his steakhouse and spending a, a lot of money because it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I don't know if I'm as out of the door with Master Teague as you are. I agree. I don't think he's exactly what the. Ohio State offense really calls on like you want those short like five ten guys with bursts the Zeeks the J.K. Dobbins Master Teague is old school in every sense of the word he's a one cut hit the hole hard and he's a gain four or five yards a carry type guy uh, ten years ago he would have been the ideal back for college football yeah now you question. need guys who get into space. You need the Travion Hendersons. You need the Evan Pryors. Even Mayan Williams is pretty good in space, which we saw against Clemson. Uh, and overall, the room is the room is deep. I mean, it's we're not bad. even talking about Marcus Crowley. We're talking about these other three guys. And that's part of this challenge here. I think overall, talent-wise, we should be extremely excited for the room. We've got five guys legitimately who can be featured backs in some capacity. Will they all get on the field this year? Absolutely not. There's just not enough room to get that many carries out there and still keep running backs in a rhythm, keep running backs from, uh, you know, doing that. And with all the talk about Travion Henderson being great, I think he's either solidified the number two spot or a 50-50 role already. If he hasn't, that's a that's a conversation we're gonna have to have, um, and, and and both because I mean the hype around him, but he's one of the players where the hype is deserved. Like I mean, if you've ever seen anything that he's done, you can just tell he's one. Of, like you can just tell. Like you knew Joey Bosa was gonna be a beast. You knew Chase Young was gonna be a beast. Uh, not, I mean, that's very high praise to put on him to compare him to those players, but he's one of those guys when you're like, yeah, he's going to be a beast. Like, he, he, he has it. He has it. He, he, for, he passes the eye test every single sense of the way. Uh, I, I want to give Master Teague a little bit benefit of the doubt here. He was coming off an Achilles injury, and he came back fast. And we're not really – I'm not really sure how much that hampered his game because behind Dobbins, he was an 800-yard back. Like, he was third-team All-Big Ten voted by the coaches. Like, he had moments where he was elite. It's just those games. And this is kind of how I envision the room going. I think it's going to start off with Teague and Crowley kind of leading the way because they're older. And then I think throughout the year you're going to see these younger guys pop off. And then by the end of the season, when it really comes down to who's on the field when it matters most, it's going to be the guys who could do more with the football in their hand, and that's the younger guys. 
See, I, I have a problem with that strategy only because you, uh, except I guess maybe because they might not be different. ready right away. Yeah, maybe it's slightly different because we're starting with a, a, a tough Minnesota team, like a, a feisty Minnesota team, and then we play Oregon. Um, but you really need to get them started early. Like, you, I mean, when do you throw them in? And I, I do want to say with Master T, I don't think he's a bad running back. I don't think I just don't think he's a feature back. He is a very above average number two. He is a great change of pace back. Um, if Ohio like he could whatever the rushing touchdown record is, he could break it. If Ohio State would just line up with two tight ends and run him in the red zone, I just think yeah. if he's our number one running back, if he's getting 70 percent of the carries, we have a problem. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's going to last long term. I don't think he's electric enough. Yeah, I can't remember who said this. It, it might have just been some random conversation. I either overheard or was on a podcast or something. But someone said if Ohio State was to run the young guys for the first three quarters and then bring in 225, 230-pound Master Teague to be a closer, you know how annoying that would be? to waste your time three quarters chasing these quick little dudes around and then have to take on an absolute bell cow type back in the fourth quarter. Like this is the running back room that could reinvent it and treat it like a bullpen or a pitching staff. You have your starters and you have your middle reliever, whoever you want that to be. And then you bring in master T to close out the game and just absolutely yes. obliterate them. Um. Sign me up. Sign me up today. Sign me up next week. The whole season, next season, last season. I think that's the perfect way to use him. Like honestly, I think like that's why he was so successful after J.K. Dobbins would come out of the games because like the other team was so tired of having to tackle J.K. Dobbins that you put Teague in there. No one wants just, to tackle a guy that no. big. And then he's just running you over. He's he's bigger than half your linebackers. I think that's the perfect way to use him. Um, if they use him anything like that, I think it's going to be beautiful. And and maybe he's the starter in the sense that he takes the first carry out of respect. But if he leads the team in carries, you know, I don't care who takes the first carry. I know that matters for athletes, and like, and, and out of respect, maybe he deserves that. But if we. It, I think Travion Henderson or Evan Pryor, I think, you know, maybe we're not giving him enough credit. He was a very good running back as well. If one of them is not leading the league in carries, um, I think I, we I think, have a problem. I think this is also going to end up being very matchup-based as well. Remember with our linebackers two years ago when we – or, yeah, this was last year with Justin Hill. You'd use four linebackers sometimes. Sometimes yep. you'd use – three sometimes you use two depending on the matchup like there's going to be matchups where master teague is much better for it like if you play a smaller defense or a defense that doesn't have a lot of size like master teague is the option him and Mike williams have that game it's going to be a long day for the other side you start playing a quick defense that eats up space you're not going to want master teague being the one cut back he is and, no. and getting caught in the backfield all the time no uh, Master, speaking of throwback, <laughs> Master Teague is um, the perfect two-back system running back. You remember like the early 2000s, the two-back system? Yeah. Oh, my God. He's the perfect two-back system. You have your, your smaller, fast, shifty guy. You have Thunder your other lightning. one. Who you have your other one who is not afraid to lead block, do some misdirection. And then when you give them the ball, I, they, 
that is his era. <laughs> like that is him, one hundred percent. Because I don't think he's a fully throwback. You know, I don't think he's you know two thousand five whatever. He, but two back system, he's perfect. And that's a great like. God, man, I, I, I mean, I'm just excited for this room overall. I think it's a good outlook. I mean, we're arguing about who's going to be the best back, but overall, I think you have five backs. That's one position where you can't have enough people. Honestly, we have. We five saw what happened. We saw what happens when it gets thin. Like, yeah. And every single every single running back that we have would start on the majority of college football teams. Yeah, especially in the Big Ten. And maybe every team in the Big Ten this year because who does Wisconsin have back? Uh, I don't even know. I'm, I'm not sure. I know the only team they probably wouldn't start on is Minnesota because they have Muhammad Ibrahim. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a beast. He's a beast. But, yeah, overall, I think Ohio State has the most loaded running back room in the country probably yeah, right now. Easily. From a recruiting ranking standpoint, we got to see how they perform on the field, of course. Of course. But, yeah, I guess that will lead us into our top five running backs since 2005. Uh, We decided to have some fun with this. I got my picks in first this week, so I am going the more traditional route. Uh, Jordan, if you want to lead us off, I am excited for the audience to hear this. Yeah, so, you know, continuing our our, my personal favorite topic – Top five. This week we're doing running back since 2005. Um, a lot of these names you should know. A lot of these names you probably have on your personal list if you're making one. So I decided to get unique with mine. Um, if we could pause this for a second. Player, oh. Like, if you guys can see the smirk on Jordan's face right now, I can't tell you <laughs> how excited it's making me. So I just want you guys to just know he is smirking so hard right now. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited for this. Uh, Oh, I lost his stats. It doesn't matter. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You lead us off because I think the audience needs to hear this. All right. So my number five running back at Ohio State since 2005 is JT Barrett. And you may say JT Barrett was not a running back, but yes, he was. JT Barrett was 1,000% a running back. He was arguably the best running back on the team. He played with Zeke, so he was the second running back on the team, but... JT Barrett's the best running back. Um, He had, just off of memory, because I kind of messed up the stats, he had over 600 rushes, over 3,000 rushing yards. He had 43 touchdowns, I believe, and over five yards per carry. That's a running back. Um, Yeah. If you look (laughs) on the all-time list, he's ahead of a lot of guys that are legitimate all-time greats at Ohio State at running back. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what um, that's kind of what came up for me when I was looking at this. I was looking at rushing records and things like that, and I was like, you know, you know, I think me and Chris are gonna have a lot of the same people. But I'm looking at this list, and some of the best running backs in Ohio State history were quarterbacks. And Urban Meyer used him as a running back. Um, he didn't really like when. What is the play? Everyone can say it with me. It is third and short. We need the first down. What is the play? Quarterback power. JT to the right, yeah. They motion the uh, they motion the H back, and then they motion him back, and then JT Barrett snaps the ball, and then he runs right, and he that's gets the play. It. We Most we've seen times. it a thousand times. Everyone knows it. Everyone can draw it. You could put it in Madden. You could put it in the new college football game. Like we know that play by heart. JT Barrett yeah. is my number five running back. Yeah, my number five running back is actually a running back, and his name is Dan Heron. Uh, boom, Heron. Uh, he was one of my favorite running backs. 
growing up. I thought he was one of those guys, whenever you needed a big play, he made it. And in my initial reparations to the Tattoo Five, still one of the worst nicknames I've ever heard, self-given, I believe, uh, he was electric his whole time. He was a contributor as a freshman. He played a huge role as a sophomore. And then in 2010, when he was a featured back, he was an 1,100-yard rusher. Uh, 16 touchdowns. That's a lot of touchdowns for a running back, if you guys don't know. And he was splitting time with guys like Brandon Sane and other backs as well. I believe Carlos Hyde was in the mix in 2010. And there's just a good list of backs he had to share the backfield with. But he did pronounce himself early and often in his career. And is Boom not the great, the best nickname for running back? Yeah, it's perfect. I think that is why he's number five, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and on top of that, I, I'm, I apologize if anyone knows this or remembers this, and I'm just saying stupid stuff. But can we point out that Boom Heron was small? Like, he was not a big running back. No. Um, and he got his nickname from running people over. Yeah, he was – If I like, whenever I made a running back in the video game during that time, like, I wanted him to be like Boom Heron. Like an undersized, like badass running back. Yeah, and there's really no reason why you shouldn't. Um, and that, like, he is easily one of my favorite Ohio State running backs. And really, because you know, the nickname, the swag, the fact that he would go up against anybody, and he was running people over. Like, yeah. he would. He was electric. He was so fun to watch. All right, who do you have next on your list? Uh, my number four running back is another non-running back who was a running back, and it is Braxton Miller. Um, Braxton Miller was a running back, and if you say he wasn't, just remember how many times did Braxton Miller overthrow um, everyone, everyone. I was thinking of yeah. a specific wide receiver, and his name lost my mind. What Devere is the, Posey, the, that's what I remember. Devere Posey, what's the other one, um, the really fast one? Devin Smith? He, Yes, that's who I was thinking of. How do you overthrow Devin Smith, the fastest person on the field? Braxton Miller was a running back. His best trait was running. His highlight of his career is as a wide receiver. It's the spin move. It's on T-shirts. It's on everything. He was a running back in a quarterback's body. Um, Again, he had 600 rushes, 3,313 yards, 5.5 yards per carry, and 33 touchdowns. and, and he has the third most of my personal list. This is not all of them, but on my personal list, he has the third most rushes. He has more rushes than actual running backs on this list. He's a running back, and he's the fourth best running back in my opinion. Yeah, I was going to say it's interesting how JT Barrett and Braxton Miller have more carries in their careers than a lot of running backs. Yeah. Like a lot of running backs. So, it, it honestly, it fits. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think – the thing is Braxton Miller did not get the best start due to being on the fickle Buckeyes, but in the 12 and 0 year, you can start seeing him develop as a thrower. His junior year is when he really started developing as a thrower. And then unfortunately he hurt his shoulder. So we didn't get to see the full evolution of that, but we did get to see the full evolution of Braxton Miller as an athlete in space, which is what you alluded to with the spin move. And I think I think he's perfect on this list. I, I don't see any problems with it. I think he was more electric than almost every running back. Sons like two of them. Easily, 
easily more electric than just about every running back. Um, and I just wanted to bring it back up because I didn't have it. JT Barrett had 656 rushing attempts, almost 700 In rushing four attempts. Years. That's insane. 3,200 yards, and he averaged five yards a carry. And I was right. He had 43 touchdowns. That's, That's a running back. <laughs> that is a running back career. Like, he had more rushing attempts than Ezekiel Elliott. Almost as many. He, has, he had almost as many rushing attempts as Eddie George. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, my next guy on the list is Chris Wells. Chris Beanie Wells. Apologies, guys. So, I, I got the Beanie and Boom on here. Uh, he is... One of my favorite running backs. I think if he didn't end up getting hurt, he probably would have been number three on my list if he wasn't battling the turf toe injury his final season. But overall, I don't think you can argue that there are many better running backs in Ohio State's history than Chris Beanie Wells. Uh, 3,300 career yards, uh, tons of touchdowns, 30 of them, which is a lot for a running back. And he was an extreme driver of success in two national championship seasons, didn't win either, but huge vital key, and I think he warrants a spot that high on the list, and anyone should have him on their top five. I don't, yeah, I don't think you can have a top five without Beanie Wells. Um, top five nicknames, he's on there. Top five rushers at Ohio State in this the past uh, two decades, he's on there. Um, if we, if I can just go ahead and say it, he's number three yeah. on my list. Um, he's number three on my list, and I think it's. I just think it's interesting because I, I love the stats. I bring him up for every person, but you already said him right. Thirty three hundred rushing yards, thirty touchdowns. But you already mentioned he was battling turf toe. So you know what? What would that have been if he wasn't injured? What would that have been if he would have had the full healthy season? Easily could have been you know close to four thousand yards. Could have been you know thirty five to forty touchdowns. Um, even even ranking, um, even dealing with the injury, he's sixth all time in rushing uh, rushing yards for a career. So, uh, yeah. Beanie Wells is on this list. He's amazing. Um, and and he, if you Remember the turf toe injury? It was a lot. Uh, it like took up like six games, and he played through a lot of it. But he yeah. was not the same player with it. Not at all. Uh, Beanie Wells was actually my favorite running back growing up um, until the Urban Meyer era, and I'll just leave it at that because y'all should know gotcha. who I'm going to yeah, talk you about. You guys know who the top two are. We don't even need to freaking kid you guys. Uh, but my number three on my list is Carlos Hyde. Uh, I know Carlos Hyde kind of gets a rap. Uh, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle due to who came after him. But I think his final two years at Ohio State were on a level that's very obscene for a running back when you look at the per-game stats, uh, the yards from scrimmage stats. And I, I think he's one of the more underrated players because like, he was there in 2011. That was not a fun year for any of us. He was a huge reason why Ohio State was successful in 2012, and he was monumental in the momentum going forward after 2013 with his final season. And I don't think he gets enough credit all time that he deserves, but he's a guy who improved in his time, he focused over time, and he scored a lot of touchdowns for Ohio State. 
Yeah, he, he had to have scored a, a million. So if I if I went the traditional route, Carlos Hyde would have been on mine. Um, again, aside from the fact that I truly believe that both those quarterbacks are actually running backs, I didn't go Carlos Hyde because I didn't want to have the same list. But I'm a big Carlos Hyde fan, um, and I love his NFL career, the fact that he was able to stick around so long. Still um, sticking I mean, around. Yeah, he's not going to be Frank Gore. No one's going to be Frank Gore, but he's going to be close. I mean, he's got to be like, you know, what, 10 like he's got to be at like eight or nine seasons. So it's believable he can get to 10, which is just ridiculous for a running back. So yeah. super longevity. And he's he's filled every role. You know, he's had his feature seasons. He's had his um, number two, you know, backup seasons. He's had his kind of leadership roles and everything like that. So I'm a big Carlos Hyde fan. He's probably six on my list if I don't have quarterbacks. And he's probably fourth. If I if gotcha. he's six on my list with quarterbacks, probably fourth. If I don't have quarterbacks, yeah. All right, so you want me to lead into number two because uh, we got go the, the same. We have J.K. Dobbins as our number two running back in Ohio State's last fifteen years. I'm guessing you guys know who number one is, but we're going to start with J.K. I, I love J.K. Uh, I think he's one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, you know, it's weird. He was one of the most deceptively fast players, but also, like, he got caught from behind a strange amount for how fast he was. Uh, so I think when you look at him, I think we ran into some issues in 2018 that kind of affected all of Ohio State, where they gave Mike Weber the ball a little too much and should have gave J.K. Dobbins the ball just a little bit more. Because <laughs> coming from his freshman year, a freshman running for 1,400 yards – in the Big Ten, should not be taking a backseat to anybody. Never. And we saw what happened when he became the true featured back in 2019 with his 2,000-yard season, setting a record. And overall, I just think he's a definitive number two. Yeah, and here's the thing, right? If you just go straight off of statistics – J.K. Dobbins is the second best running back in Ohio State history. Now, I understand that the eye test matters, and there's a reason he's not number one on my list. There's a reason he's not number one on your list, or maybe most people. Um, the big moments matter. Um, 85 Absolutely. yards through the, heart, through the heart of the South matters. Um, his two drops against Clemson changed his legacy forever. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff matters. But J.K. Dobbins, one of the things that I appreciate the most about him is that I personally just, I was just like, there's no way we're going to see another Zeke. There's no way we're going to see anyone. It's going to fall down, not, not fall off because it's Ohio state, but we're just not going to have anyone, you know, to that level. And yeah. then King JK. And it's like picked up immediately. Like, where, Zeke like, where was the drop off? Like, you know, we had that two years in between where we're running Mike Weber and some people and then boom, JK comes and it's like, this is Ohio state. This is what yeah. it's supposed to be. Um, and and he mean, only started because Weber was hurt and someone else was hurt going into the season. So he was a starter in that first game against Indiana by default. And he had over 200 yards. But, yeah, no, I think my – I mean, J.K. Dobbins is for sure number two. I mean, we we know who number one is. Uh, yeah. The, the last thing – Do whatever you guys want. You the guys last thing I want to say – the last thing I want to say about J.K. is he is the only running back on this list that is an All-American, which is kind of highway Criminal. robbery. 
Um, it's definitely criminal, but I also think that speaks to him as, as a person um, yeah. and as a player and what he did. Um, but come on, you know we love J.K. Everyone knows it. I I told everyone last year that he was going to be starter and that they should get him on fantasy. Nobody believed me. He was a starter before halfway of the season. But we have to talk about the true number one, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, I, I, there's it, not enough that can be said about Ezekiel Elliott that hasn't been said already. You guys know why he's here. You guys know. Me and Jordan could go on for hours talking about how amazing Ezekiel Elliott is. But the reality of it is back-to-back 1,800-yard seasons, back-to-back carrying Ohio State through bad times, and the greatest three-game span in the history of all of college football by anybody. I don't care what anyone says, but any position, offense, defense, Playoffs, no playoffs, BCS, doesn't matter. That is the greatest three-game set stretch. No one has ever put their team on their back like Zeke did at times. And it wasn't just in those three games. I remember Ohio State was struggling against Indiana. Zeke had 200 yards against them because he had to. Not because he wanted to, because he's like, it's my day because no one else is going to do anything here. I got to win this game for us. And that's what Zeke did so routinely, and it was so effortless for him to just run over people and get around people and, and at his size is just amazing. And I, I think there's two things in particular that stick out to me about Zeke, right? One, the one time we didn't lose, use Zeke how we were supposed to be used, we lost. We lost. And that shows his impact. No one has to say the game. We know what it is. When you didn't use him the way he should have been used, we lost. And that is how big he affected the game. And he affected the game at a time when we were slowly getting away from running backs. Like maybe in the Big Ten, we keep running backs, whatever. But we know anyone who follows football as a whole, running backs are are devalued, right? And he carried the team to a level that when he didn't get the, the touches that he was supposed to get, we lost. And then not only did he have the greatest three-game stretch, he didn't have it weeks two through five or weeks five through eight. He, he had did it when it mattered the most. most. He did it against Wisconsin when we were going to miss the playoff. Then he did it in both playoff games. He did it against Alabama, the big bad team in the South, 85 yards to the heart of the South. Like the, Didn't stop there. No. And then he did it against Oregon. Absolutely. With a backup quarterback. We know, a, everyone a knew backup, we were backup run. quarterback. A yeah. third string. A third, everyone knew we weren't going to throw. I mean, Cardo was going to throw it deep, but Cardo couldn't throw a slant to save his, save his life. And I know we don't like to say that because he was a quarterback. No one likes to talk bad about Cardo, but he could throw the ball 700 yards and couldn't hit a slant. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where Zeke's monumental success and when it mattered most will always solidify his legacy. And this is why I'll even argue he's like the best Ohio State running back of all time. We have a two-time Heisman winner. Because I don't think Archie Griffin, uh, when you really break it down on a skill level basis, is Ezekiel Elliott. I, I can't. I'm sorry, can't older fans. Like I'm sorry. Like I can't hold my tongue here. I think Zeke's the best running back in Ohio State history. He needs a statue. It's criminal. Yeah. He doesn't already have one. Honestly, he need he needs like three statues. Honestly. Put it wherever his freshman year dorm was. Put it at the Woody Hayes Center, and then put one outside the stadium. Yeah, we need like an Ezekiel Elliott Hall at Ohio State. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start, I'm gonna get something going here. We're gonna get the ball rolling on that one too. I'm about to just I'm about to create a business just selling Ezekiel Elliott merch. Also, if <laughs> anyone who's listening to this just happens to know where I can get a t-shirt that says 85 yards through the heart of the south, DM me, mess, whatever it is. Like, please, I need one. Um we I need to get my Ohio State merch up. 
All righty. All right. We got best for last real quick. Let's wrap it up. Uh, let's get after it. So this best for last is something I came up with because I was looking at, uh, I was looking at, you know, the statistics for Ohio State running backs and was kind of shocked that there was no All-American. So I was like, okay, we have to have Big Ten Player of the Year, and we don't have that either. So it's just random, but Ohio State has had eight of the last ten Big Ten Quarterback of the Year. We've had five in a row. And that same stretch, we've had four of the last ten Offensive Player of the Year, which is major because as we talked about, there are multiple first round. I mean, we have Wisconsin, we have Iowa, Northwestern. We have teams who live off of their offensive linemen. So yeah. to have four out of ten is big. But then when it comes to running back, wide receiver, and tight end, we only have two of the last 30. That is 10 players at each position. In the last 10 years, we've only had two people at running back, wide receiver, or tight end win player of the year at the Big Ten. That is the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. Got to pick that up. It makes no sense. For as as successful as we've been, we haven't had the best running back, the best wide receiver, or the best tight end in the league. And you can't argue it. The two who've won it have Carlos Hyde and Zeke. But, like, J.K. Dobbins wasn't the best running. I think he was, but there was Saquon Barkley and um, Jonathan Taylor. The best wide receiver, we haven't had him. Like, we haven't had statistically great wide receivers. Tight ends, we've already talked about that. Like, that is outrageous to me that we've only had two of the last 30 at running back wide receiver tight end to win the player of the year award in the Big Ten. I agree. I don't think it's going to change at running back this year. I think wide receiver, either Olave or Garrett Wilson, will get that one. And then I think Jeremy Rucker can get us get the ball rolling at tight end. So I, I think we're on to something here. I think C.J. Stroud will be the Big Ten quarterback of the year. And I, agree. I think either NPF or Thayer Munford will be the offensive lineman of the year. So I think there's a chance Ohio State might have a pretty close to clean sweep. The only one I'm questioning is running back because I do think Muhammad Ibrahim, if he stays healthy, has that one on lock. Yeah, I could see that. I just think it's – I would just say this right now. It's scary for the Big Ten because if we start – I mean, we've won the Big Ten without those awards, without having the best player at those yeah. positions, and now we have the best. We have the best wide receivers at every year in the Big Ten. We're going to be up there with running back, especially because Wisconsin has slightly taken a step back, which they had to because their run of running backs is just absolutely nuts. There was no no one could keep that up forever. Yeah. Um, I was kind of had the tight ends locked down. Yeah. So it's going to be scary out here. Tides are turning. It's going to get worse for everybody else in the Big Ten and get better for us. We love to see uh, it. Not to, not to take a line from our rivals, <laughs> but – uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up for today's show. As always, we love having you guys here. Jordan, we know you got a new Twitter you want people following. Let's give that a shout out. Where else can we find you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. I uh, decided to, to, to use my uh, business Twitter for the podcast. So shout me out. Let me know. Hit me up. Ask me questions, whatever. I, I love to interact. Yeah, yeah. And then you can find me on my personal Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. Always willing to communicate there. I do most of my chatter through the Buck Off Pod Twitter, though. And that is at Buck Off Pod on Twitter. Uh, everything else, uh, make sure you subscribe to the show, subscribe to the feed, and don't forget to give us a nice little rating. Me and Jordan, we're having fun trying to fill your off season void. Uh, any last words for today before we close it out, Jordan? 
it's almost football season. Go Bucks. Yeah. It's almost it's almost football season. I think that's the first positive note we truly ended you guys on in like three shows. So we're gonna end with that one. Go Bucks. <laughs>